0: Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again. Did you know that in the state of Hawaii, it's illegal to place a coin in one's ear? In Connecticut, by law, a pickle must be able to bounce. In my home state of California, it's actually illegal to whistle for a lost canary before 7 a.m. In South Dakota, it's illegal to sleep in a cheese factory. In Vermont, it's illegal for women to wear fake teeth without their husband's approval. And in Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. Some of the wacky laws that sit on America's law books are hilarious, and the stories behind them are even funnier. But less comical than these laws were those of the Puritans. To try keeping people in God's good graces, they did things like drive an awl through someone's tongue for swearing in public. And they even locked a sea captain in the stocks for kissing his wife in public after being away for three months. But even more concerning than these were their laws regarding worship. The first of these laws was in 1610 in the state of Virginia. It said that if you missed church twice, you were whipped publicly. And the third time, you were put to death. Three strikes and you're out. These laws are known as Sunday Blue Laws, mostly because of the blue paper that they were written on. Although they were running away from the Church State Union of England and from Europe's Church State Tyranny of the Dark Ages, with time, the Puritans ended up enforcing religious laws of their own, persecuting even their own fellow Christians. Rhode Island itself, established by Roger Williams to be a refuge of religious freedom, passed a Sunday law just 43 years after it was founded, requiring church attendance on Sunday. Why is this such a concern? Because God operates on freedom of choice. Nowhere in the Old Testament, nor when Jesus walked this earth, do we see God forcing people to worship Him. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. And love in our hearts as a response toward God cannot be forced. It is to be freely chosen. In early America, this wasn't happening when people went to church on Sundays to avoid being whipped or killed. Now you may think, well, yeah, but who really cares? I mean, that was three and four hundred years ago. It was. But did you know that about half of the American states still have blue laws on their books? Yeah, you say, but... They're inactive and they're just a thing of the past, right? Friends, these Sunday blue laws may be lying dormant like a volcano never expected again to portray its power, but prophecy predicts the almost unthinkable, that this lamb-like, Christ-like nation that would arise, this nation that from its founding would separate religion and government, that the United States of America would one day pass laws to enforce worship. Revelation 13, verses 11 to 15 say, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Verse 13, he performs great signs, that is, miracles, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the sight of the earth, or on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The image of the beast is mentioned four times within just two verses. This is reminiscent of those three faithful Hebrew boys who would not bow down to the golden image that the king of Babylon was forcing everyone to worship. Similarly, the image of the beast at the end of time is a compromised church united with state, that is, government, forming a new system. And it's called the image to the sea beast because it's a picture of the first beast, the Roman church state system. Now, I've got a friend who had a baby recently, and wow, That boy looks just like his daddy. I mean, if you put a beard on the baby, it'd almost be hard to tell them apart. It's fair to say that he is the spitting image of his dad. Bible prophecy warns us that one day, not far distant, the United States will repudiate or overturn every principle of its constitution and it'll be the spitting image of the Church of the Inquisition and the Dark Ages. You may say, Justin, that's crazy. How could that ever happen in the land of the free? Friends, I don't want you to just take my word for it, so I'm going to share a number of quotes with you. And these are just a few of the voices of what is a swelling chorus of people and movements that are advocating this very thing. But before I do, check out this amazing quote from founding father George Washington. He received a letter in 1789 from the United, uh, the United Baptist Churches in Virginia. And they were concerned that the Constitution may not protect religious liberty and that it could eventually enable the government to make laws regarding religion. On May 10, George Washington penned his reply. He made it clear. If anything in that document even left a loophole for the loss of religious freedom, he would never have signed it. And then he says this. And if I could now conceive that the general government might ever be so administered as to render the liberty of conscience insecure... I beg you will be persuaded that no one would be more zealous than myself to establish effectual barriers against the horrors of spiritual tyranny and every species of religious persecution. He then wrote that every man is accountable to God alone for his religious opinions. Now we know these weren't just the feelings of George Washington because a few months later, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution were voted, beginning with these words in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. They clearly separated church and state, religion and government. The Founding Fathers had read the crimson chapters of history, painted red by the blood of millions of people, killed simply for not worshipping as the prevailing church state power prescribed. Never once in the Bible did God's people have a priest who was also their king religious and government leaders in Israel did not cross over. Jesus recognized this separation of church and state as well when he said in Matthew 22 verse 21, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. The Bible teaches that no matter what you do or don't believe, so long as it doesn't lead to the harm of other people, you're free to practice your beliefs however you so choose. The Founding Fathers knew this and recognized the absolute importance of it. But unfortunately, more recent American leaders, including some Supreme Court justices, have not. Notice the huge shift in thinking over time. In 1947, Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black reminded everyone that, in the words of Jefferson, there is a wall of separation between church and state. Then he added strongly that this wall must be kept high and impregnable. But sadly, just 43 years later, in 1990, in a Supreme Court case, uh, Justice Antonin Scalia said that religious liberty is a luxury that we can no longer afford. Wow! Instead of a God-given right for all, Scalia called it a luxury. And it'll be interesting to see with time what the newly appointed Supreme Court Justice believes about religious liberty, especially since they're the ones with power to interpret the U.S. Constitution. Now on this topic, one organization that we need not guess about is modern Catholicism. In an encyclical letter in 1888, Pope Leo called it the greatest perversion of liberty and that fatal principle of the separation of church and state. This push against humanity's God-given right of liberty of conscience was largely why America, for decades, was not so open to the presence of the Pope. In fact, the first US visit that any Pope made wasn't until 1965, nearly 200 years after its founding. But attitudes have drastically shifted. To mention just a few, in 1992, US President Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II were pictured here on the cover of Time magazine. And it read Holy Alliance, how Reagan and the Pope conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of communism. Very interesting. For the first time in history, the President and the Pope worked together to achieve a political goal. But what about the people? Has there been a shift in attitude there? In Pope John Paul II's visit to St. Louis in 1999, the crowds began singing a song to him, He's got the whole world in his hands. A song written for God. In 2005, at this Pope's funeral, You can see in this picture two former U.S. presidents and Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice along with the then current President George W. Bush and his wife all kneeling at the body of the Pope. Another indication of the respect towards the Pope, not only as a religious leader but as a political dignitary, is that when he arrives in America he doesn't go to the President. The President comes to the airport to greet him. Similarly, when President Trump visited the Pope in Rome, he waited outside until the Pope gave the signal to let him come in so that they could speak. And in September of 2015, something took place for the first time ever. The Pope came in person and addressed a joint session of the United States Congress, and that's the lawmaking branch of government in America. He spoke for almost an hour and received a standing ovation not only when he finished, but as well when he came in Uh, to the building. Remember that we're talking about this because of the organization that the Pope leads. As we've seen in our series, this power is bitterly against freedom of religion and is against separating church and state. And not too many centuries ago, this led to the exile, torture, and death of millions of people, all in the name of God. These are the dangers we face when faith becomes forced by law. You may say, well, there's just no way, there's no way a Sunday law could ever happen in America. Well, it nearly did. The year was 1888, and there had been a large push to get work on Sunday to be forbidden by law. Proponents finally gained the support of a senator named Henry Blair. And on May 21, he proposed to the United States Senate what was called the Sunday Rest Bill. And it read, a bill to secure to the people the enjoyment of the first day as a day of rest and its, and to promote its observance as a day of religious worship. And it went on to say that if voted, people wouldn't be allowed to work and have certain types of recreation on Sunday. But there was a man named Alonzo T. Jones, a history professor from the Battle Creek Adventist College in Michigan. It's now Andrews University. And Jones appeared before the U.S. Senate and argued as to why such a law would be unconstitutional and even dangerous. He compared the trajectory for them of American history and the history of ancient Rome, explaining how a progression of Sunday laws in the 4th and 5th centuries worked to bring about the union of church and government and eventually led to the medieval Europe— that we know from history with all of its horrors. In the end, the power and clarity of Jones' arguments prevailed and the bill was voted down. Now that was about 130 years ago, but there have been others pushing for Sunday legislation. In 1976, editor of Christianity Today, Harold Lindsay wrote, all businesses, including gasoline stations, that's petrol stations, and restaurants should close every Sunday. By force of legislative fiat through the duly elected officials of the people. And in the 50 years since this quote was written, um, we have only seen an increase in calls for Sunday laws. In April of 2015, the Lord's Day Alliance in the USA said, Sunday is a mark of Christian unity. Just a few months ago, June 17 of, of this year, an article by Casey Chalk appeared in Crisis Magazine called, Bring back the blue laws. Interesting, huh? Listen to this. He was speaking of the COVID lockdown in the beginning, and he writes this. Americans, in those early quarantine days, after the haze of their Netflix binge had evaporated, woke up with a surprised appreciation for what earlier generations had considered normal, Sunday laws, all otherwise known as blue laws. As America returns to normality, we should consider these laws and their manifold benefits fresh He then goes on to say that not just Christians would benefit from Sunday laws, but everyone. And in closing, he writes, "If promulgated in a prudent and focused way, Sunday laws can cultivate virtue, strengthen neighborliness and protect small businesses. Most importantly, they can help promote prayer and peace now when America needs them the most." Once again, friends, why is this significant? Because Revelation 13 says that this image to the beast, this church state system will create a law mandating a form of worship. All must obey or else they cannot buy or sell. And eventually, those who refuse this mandate will be put to death. Remember from our last message, we are to obey our government leaders. But if and when the laws of our land contradict the law of God, We must, like the Apostles from Acts chapter 4, say, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now it's not only America that's taking steps toward broader Sunday legislation. An article from The Trumpet, 2009. Effective from January 1, 2010, Berlin must fall into line with the law institutionalizing Sunday as a day of rest and religious contemplation as contained in Germany's basic law. You know, when laws like this are enforced, It may change the outward conduct, but it can never change the heart. No wonder Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. God never forces his people to worship him, and neither should we. Now it's not just Germany heading in this direction. Between 2014 and 2016, there have been laws regarding Sunday passed in Cyprus, Chile, the European Union. Poland, Brazil, Argentina, Milan, Germany, Hungary. IKEA in France was convicted for violation of a Sunday rest law. Uh, In Tonga, bakeries were banned from opening on Sundays in July of 2016. Incredible. All around the globe, steps are being taken to strengthen Sunday legislation. Now back to America. You may ask, how in the world would the U.S., that's filled with such an eclectic mix of atheists and Hindus and Buddhists, Muslims, Catholics, Christians ever pass a law about Sunday? Well, they'd need to rally around a common cause, maybe like concern for the planet. Right now, caring for the planet is unifying the world. Now before I share some quotes with you, allow me to say, we should care for the environment. God gave Adam and Eve this responsibility way back in the Garden of Eden and it extends to us today. There's nothing wrong with wanting to take care of our planet, so long as it doesn't lead to the resurrection of Sunday lots. And Before you dismiss that as far-fetched, listen to this. From 2009, an article in The Guardian called Slow Sunday, The Simple Solution to Global Warming, it reads as follows. We cannot wait until governments are enlightened enough to legislate and cap the carbon emissions. Matters are urgent. We have to act now without any delay. One thing we can easily do to achieve this goal is that we can declare Sunday to be a fossil fuel free day or a low carbon day at least, an energy, or at least an energy saving day. We can start individually and collectively. The long journey to cut carbon dioxide emissions can start in the here and now. Not long ago, Sunday used to be a day of rest, a day of spiritual renewal, a day for families to come together. We can and should restore Sunday to a day for Gaia, a day for the earth. This will be good for our personal health as well as for the health of the planet. We will have time for our friends, time to play with our children, and time for the family. So two arguments. First, for the sake of the earth, and second, for the sake of the family and society. Finally, they closed by saying, at a stroke, we can reduce 10% of our carbon emissions into the atmosphere by making Sunday a low-carbon day and at the same time make ourselves healthier and happier. Fascinating. Now, this was way back in 2009, but have these suggestions stopped? Listen to this from the New Boston Post, April 1 of this year. At least one change resulting from the quarantine could do wonders to reinvigorate our national sense of family, faith, and community. Let's give some serious thought to reinstating at least some of the time-honored Sunday closure laws. Sort of a one-day-per-week modified stay-at-home request. Just a request, they say. Why? They go on. Such an action would rededicate our society to a regular day of rest, Family meals, civic associations, and religious observation, observance. By rededicating each Sunday as a common day of rest, we would say that the life of America is much more than never pausing commerce and ever grinding bureaucracy. One might suggest that today's, with today's coronavirus, we are, in a tragic and certain sense, reliving or going back in history. Another venerable, venerable aphorism says, History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Amazing. Truly, history is beginning to rhyme, and we see the foundation being laid for the image of the beast. But would everyone ceasing to work and travel for one day a week really have an impact on the environment? Actually, yes. Researchers in New York recently told the BBC that their early results showed carbon monoxide, mainly from cars, had been reduced by nearly 50%, compared to before COVID-19. People in crowded cities in India share that they hear birds in places where busy traffic had driven them out for years. The amount of litter in most major cities has actually dropped since COVID has uh, taken place as well. Interestingly enough, listen to a quote that CNN Rome from April of this year, 2020, said. Pope Francis said that the coronavirus pandemic is one of nature's responses to humans ignoring the current ecological crisis. This isn't surprising, though, as his entire encyclical letter in 2015 was about the environment. A Catholic priest from the Philippines recently took up the same message, saying, So maybe one way to look at the current crisis is to see it as the planet's desperate demand for a Sabbath. But it's not only priests. Christian pastors are also calling for rest on Sunday. Listen to Pastor Robert Field of the Bethel Baptist Church just a few months ago. God is not pleased with what we have been doing to His day of worship. Therefore, He is shutting it down for a time, meaning the COVID-19 shutdown. Perhaps with the loss of Sunday in the weeks ahead, we will begin to see its necessity, he says, and stop fooling around with the fourth commandment. This pastor is right. God is not pleased with us breaking His fourth commandment, but that commandment says that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And God even begins that command with the word, remember. He knew that the majority of the world would forget that his Sabbath is the seventh day, Saturday. The Sabbath was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before Jews or any other people group even existed. Jesus kept the seventh day Sabbath. His disciples kept it on into the New Testament. And Isaiah 66 verse 22 even says that in in the heavens and the new earth, We're gonna be worshiping God from Sabbath to Sabbath. Question, if Vladimir Putin went to the United States and announced that he wanted all Americans to celebrate America's independence, fireworks, barbecues and all, on the 5th of July and never again on the 4th of July, you think that Americans would obey? Of course not. And if anyone did, what would that say about their loyalty to America? Friends, God's seventh-day Sabbath is a sign of allegiance to Him, and He told us to rest on it, to spend special time with Him upon it. But at its core, the Sabbath isn't about a day. It's about leadership. It's about loyalty. Loyalty to God. A few more quotes. Here's a recent tweet from a mayor in Canada. Just putting this out there for consideration. Once we kick COVID-19's rear... I'd suggest that everything be closed on Sundays again so that we can appreciate the importance of what taking a pause in our busy lives really means. Very interesting. Now, what about the Jews who rest and worship on Saturday? Could they ever want Sunday legislation? Listen to this from the Jerusalem Times earlier this year. Because of Shabbat observance in Israel, that's Sabbath observance, greenhouse gas emissions are reduced by a third. Now, that's pretty amazing. He goes on to say, If every denomination of the Jewish people truly sanctified Shabbat as a non-consumer day of rest, and this example was followed by other faith communities, then Shabbat would save the Jewish people along with the entire planet. A real universal day of rest could cut greenhouse gas emissions by one-seventh, allowing our turbulent planet to calm back into a balance. And you'd think that the push in Israel would be strictly for Saturday as the Shabbat. But in 2015, Israeli leaders put forth a bill to propose making Sunday a day of rest. Pretty incredible. What about Muslims, you say? What about followers of Islam? Their day of rest is Friday. Check this out. The Deccan Herald, April 2, 1997, said that the day before, Pakistan, and I quote, A nation of 120 million Muslims altered its day of rest from Friday to Sunday. Amazing. What about the agnostics, the atheists? Why would they ever rally around something like Sunday laws? Listen to this from greensabbathproject.net. And I quote, Green Sabbath is a non-religious, non-political, and non-profit campaign which aims to raise awareness and to encourage people uh, to help slow climate change by observing at least one carbon footprint-free day each week. On any day of the week, we call it symbolically a green Sabbath day. Once again, friends, these are all good things. Family time, caring for the environment, having a rest from the busyness of life. But the problem will arise for two reasons. First, Sunday is the wrong day. It's not God's holy day. Secondly, Bible prophecy and history make clear that it will become enforced by law. So it's the wrong day and it will be kept the wrong way because it will be kept based on force. God never forces us, friends. Force is the wrong way to get people into church. They should come, if they come, by choice. You may ask, could the conflict at the end of time really involve the Sabbath? Absolutely. Just look at Jesus the religious leaders started plotting his death over the issue of the Sabbath. And he told his disciples in John 15 verse 20, If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. In Revelation 12 and 14 describe God's last day people as keeping all the commandments of God. This is a sign of allegiance to God as creator and it infuriates the devil, the dragon. And in one final struggle, he'll use the beasts of Revelation 13 to deceive the world And try forcing them to break God's law. But there will stand a people faithful to God no matter the cost. Filled with His goodness and compassion. They will reflect to the world the love of God and the light of the gospel even in darkest of times. Friends, I'm excited. The next presentation is going to be talking more about this. So don't miss it. It was 2 p.m. on July 4. The Declaration of Independence was just voted. The story is told that a man rang the bell of Independence Hall when he heard the good news. It came to be known as the Liberty Bell. But in February of 1846, a Philadelphia newspaper shared some sad news. The old Independence Bell rang its last clear note on Monday in honor of the birthday of Washington and now hangs in the great city steeple, irreparably cracked and dumb. Never to sound again, that bell, with its Bible verse about freedom engraved upon it, cracked. This broken bell stands as a reminder that someday, the great principles that marked the founding of the United States will also become irreparably cracked. Today, we can praise God, friends, that America still stands as a nation where religious liberty rings throughout the land. And whether you're in Australia, America, or beyond, I want to invite you to make the most of the religious freedoms that we still have. For video of this series, visit our website at then.digital, or find us on social media.